This is the Big Little Podcast, where we dig into the stories and the leaders behind the small businesses that are showing up big for our community. Hello and welcome. I'm Carrie Ferentz, your host here on the Big Little Podcast. Today, I'm excited to chat with Rebecca Weaver, founder at HR Uprise, which is working to flip traditional HR on its head so that it works for employees first. Rebecca launched HR Uprise not just right before COVID, but also right before she was diagnosed with cancer. We cover a lot, from the Me Too movement, to all that's wrong with HR and how we can fix it, to how you stay grounded in your body along this entrepreneurial journey and in life. Let's start with hearing where this work began for her. So it was in the wake of Me Too. So all these conversations are happening. I'm sure you and just about every other person I knew um, was having these conversations in the workplace that were pretty new. I mean, it certainly wasn't anything I had ever heard in my professional career before. And up until that point, I had spent about 15 years in HR roles, kind of looked back at my own personal experiences. And all of a sudden I had new language for what I had gone through myself. Um, And I had new understanding for what I had experienced. So I was looking at it certainly from my own personal experience, but then also looking at it from my perspective as an HR professional. And the thought that just kept coming back was, how often have I created this type of environment for someone else? And of course, not intentionally, but you know, how, how many times have I done this? And, and it was that part that I just didn't see enough conversation within HR about what has been our role in creating, you know, really toxic workplaces for people, um, environments where people feel that they've been burned by HR. But at the time, I, I was watching some other organizations using Instagram, and I was um, not a huge user of social media, but I thought, well, hey, I have a lot to say. And so I launched it as an Instagram account, and I called it HR Uprise because I was calling for an uprise within HR. And what was, and did you do that through, did you have your own face and name connected to that? Or were you trying to do it behind the scenes? No, I, I wasn't really, I mean, there wasn't a, a huge amount of intention in the beginning other than <laughs> I just wanted to spark a conversation. I mean, I think that that's, that's a conversation I feel like on an increasing level, I feel like I have it weekly right now with people around what is the role in pushing forward change? Is it calling out or bringing in, calling in, and that finding that balance to move change forward? It's hard hard to know where the place is. In the absence of, you know, having um, forums, having structures, especially within the workplace um, that actually supported people. So it's a complete absence of that. And so what else are people supposed to do? And so in the beginning, I was speaking directly to HR. And it was sort of this, hey, this is coming from within. (laughs) I'm one of us um, and I'm calling for change within this profession. And what was so fascinating is that right from the very beginning, I started hearing from non-HR people. And so they're sending direct messages or emails or when we were doing talks in person, you know, they would wait Um, I would typically have a line of people waiting for me afterwards. And so they're asking questions like, hey, I observed somebody being harassed. How can I be a good ally without getting myself into trouble with HR? 
Yeah. Or I just found out that I make a lot less money than my male counterparts. Is there anything I can do about that? Or I've heard layoffs are coming. Can I actually negotiate the severance package or just have to take what's given to me? Right. And so it's all these types of questions that I thought, I mean, I had a couple thoughts about it. I mean, the first was if you had a trusted HR partner, you wouldn't feel the need to reach out to who is in effect a perfect stranger on the internet. Um, but so it, it certainly is a trustworthy, right? By the way, <clears throat> right? And and so it just identified this huge glaring need, right, um, for people to have access to resources. You know, the other thought I had was these are the kinds of questions that I field for my friends and family. Um, I call it the HR phone a friend, <laughs> and just about every HR person I know fills this role too. Um, and what's, what's so different and what's really magical, honestly, about those moments is we are taken out of our obligation to the company. Yeah. And we can give fully independent advice in those moments. We can say, here are the questions to ask. You know, here's how it usually happens within organizations. Here's what happens during a harassment investigation or, you know, those types of things. Um, and so it really is truly independent advice yeah. that someone can get. Um, so HR Uprise has gone through a couple of iterations since then, but where we are now, we are currently in beta testing um, with some technology that is soon to be a marketplace that will connect individuals with HR coaches for exactly those kinds of issues, you know, to help them navigate workplace challenges um, that they're having through your work over the past few years, what other examples or what are the most common ways that you've seen people coming to, to need an independent resource to have someone acting on their behalf? Like what, why yeah. are they reaching out to you? I think there are so many challenges. So a lot of, a lot of people are really, I think, waking up to this, I call it the double bind for HR, which is if you were to ask most people, what's HR's role? And honestly, even if you ask a lot of HR people, what is your role within the organization? A lot of times what you would hear is, well, I'm the employee advocate, or I'm here for people, or I'm here for the company culture. And all of those things, again, have great intent behind them. But the reality is the primary obligation for HR is risk management and mitigation for the company. Meaning HR's job is to protect the company first doesn't mean that they don't still have a, a great and sincere desire for great company culture. Vast majority of the HR people I know really truly want that for their organization and will work really hard and even go to bat behind the scenes um, for on, on behalf of employees. We were always looking for the solution that was both the best thing for the employee and the best thing for the organization, right? And so if you take an example of harassment, if your investigation shows that the harassment absolutely happened, um, and that is clear, that the best thing for both parties is to remove that person from the workplace, right? Um, that's a pretty easy one. Um, but the problem is, if there is ever a conflict between what is best for the employee and what is best for the company, the company is going to win out every single time. There really have not been any innovations in the structure of HR for over a hundred years. 
And so really, I think we're going to have to look at um, really flipping it on its head. Um, and, and it's going to take uh, thinking about it very, very differently, much like the HR Uprise um, mission, um, which is to create HR that really is for employees, not the company. And then are you hired by the employee or are you contracted by the company to provide independent support for the employees? So the way the marketplace is set up, it is um, the employee has the opportunity, the individual, I use employee because that's their context within the yeah. workplace, but um, but this is also for freelancers. This is for, you know, lots of different um, classifications of employees and um, individuals really. But individuals um, have the ability to go on and search for their ideal coach. If they're looking for a coach with a particular lived experience, um, they can find a coach there. They can um, find a coach with a particular um, skill set um, or specialty um, within their experience. So there are lots of different ways to find their ideal coach. But yes, it's completely within the control of the individual. Um, to hire. We have had some companies reach out um, interested in providing this as a benefit to their employees, which I find really interesting because there's a good chance that the HR coach will give advice that might run counter to what's best for the company. Um, that's kind of the whole point. Um, at the very <laughs> least, at the very least, um, you know, it is again in a truly independent um, fashion giving you know, advice or sharing experience. In my 20 plus years of work, I have worked in an organization with an HR, an independent HR function mm -hmm. for one year. Yeah. Um, so primarily working within small nonprofits and small businesses where the HR person is usually your boss. Mm -hmm. um, that adds a whole other layer of... <laughs> confusion because then there there is no there's not even the the pretense of a divide Absolutely. between <laughs> between the the boss and the employee um but it seems like yet yeah, there is this whole other for big companies your role is maybe independent support but even with small companies you just can't outsource a whole hr function this feels like such a value add for their employees yeah, I really think it is. Um, there are just so many applications, and even for large companies, to be honest, um, you know, they it's it's not truly independent in a large company either. You know, what if HR didn't report to the CEO? What if HR actually reported to the board of directors? Yeah. You know, so that it truly could maintain that independence. So you are you launched this as an Instagram account, but you're now a full you're a business. Um, but you're still in startup mode. It's really exciting to um, get so close. The coaches are incredibly excited about being able to provide this opportunity. We have a wait list that's hundreds long oh um, of coaches already um, as well, which is really exciting. Um, so yeah, it's it's a really exciting time to be connected to HR Uprise yeah. for sure. I mean, that's if that isn't an indication that people are looking for change within the industry, the fact that you have so many people who have called this their career, who identify by this work and are looking to change it. Absolutely. What for you was that driving force to kind of get out of corporate, to step outside of this traditional workforce and to do something on your own? Such a great question. I have always been drawn to creating something new. The Instagram account, seeing the response, um, 
it just kind of lit this fire and um, it got to the point where momentum was starting to build and um, it just felt like I have to go at least give this a try, give it my all. <laughs> um, because uh, it, it really did get to the point where I was more worried about regretting not taking action, you know, or not following this path um, than, than it failing. This past year, the challenges that I've gone through personally through the pandemic so have really, um, honestly, in a very odd way, have completely reconfirmed um, that the work that I am doing, it has to count. Um, yeah. And the reason I say that is in January of 2020, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I, it was, I believe, after my second round of chemotherapy um, was when the shutdown happened. Oh, my Lord. Um, at the same time, my husband also happens to be an emergency room physician. So he was being exposed to COVID every day while I was incredibly immunocompromised going through chemo. And our two young girls were, of course, home from school after the shutdown happened. So we made the decision for him to move out. And so that was about four and a half months um, through the rest of my chemotherapy. Um, just me and the girls here. And if the weather was good, my husband could come over and sit on our deck. And we sat inside and we talked through the screen door. And that's how we had dinner most nights um, when he wasn't working. Um, or if the weather was bad, he'd sit in the garage and we'd prop the door open and keep our distance. And that's how we managed for months. Um, and then after that, <laughs> he was able to come home. So that's the very good news there. Um, but I had multiple surgeries um, and then radiation. It was a lot. How um, old are your girls? They are seven and four. Yeah. Yeah. So it was quite a year. <laughs> um, but here's what's interesting. I, it really was my first couple of days in radiation that led me to where we are. So right before my diagnosis, I had left my full-time job about six months before my diagnosis. And then of course, again, going through a global pandemic, watching all of the protests throughout the summer, um, you know, all of the things that were happening politically um, in this country. I mean, there's just so much that was happening um, over the course of the year. And of course, I'm, I'm watching all of it. Um, and it just kept coming to me over and over again, how much was fundamentally changing about how we operate, certainly about how we work, um, about how we communicate what's important, about how we value and uplift voices that have traditionally been marginalized and there's there's just so much that um, I think is fundamentally changing we still have such a long way to go yeah but it felt to me in some ways like um, the conversations with me too you know where at the very least the awareness was being raised and this collective consciousness was sort of raising and and I felt this obligation back in the very beginning um, to do something about it and and felt that same sort of obligation again um, as all of this was happening. I just didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. 
So then um, my first couple days of radiation. So for me, I went through, I had to go through 33 treatments. You go every weekday for almost seven weeks. And the first couple days, so the first, in fact, the very first day, I go in and I'm laying down and because it's breast cancer, you have to be both literally and figuratively feel very exposed. Yeah. And the team you're told is the same team that will be with you through the entire course of your treatment. And they're just a complete hive of activity around me. Just moving, 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 moving. <clears throat> moving, moving, moving. And um, I just started to feel like I was getting lost. Yeah. And then out came the markers. And they're marking up all over my chest um, exactly where the field of radiation is going to go. They're even writing words about, you know, this goes here, this goes there. There were three different colors of Sharpie pens. I hate the markers. <laughs> the markers just made me feel like a prized hog. And I just kept thinking to myself, I can't wait to get out of here so I can go home and just wash this all off. Yeah. And then we get done and they said, okay, great. Now, uh, don't wash off the markers because we're going to need them tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Oh, my Lord. And like, sh you know, shuffled me out the door. And I went to my car and I burst into tears. And, you know, I kept thinking about it. You know, what was it about that particular experience? As I certainly had been through a whole lot, um, you know, this past year. But what was it about that in particular? And I realized it was that same question. Um, you know, how many ways have I been a part of creating an environment where someone felt completely dehumanized. Um, we do it in the workplace. We do it at home. We do it in the medical setting. You know, it happens over and over. And I realized, you know, that, that this team, they were the model of efficiency. And none of them were rude or anything like that. But I still felt my humanity had gotten completely lost. And I was just a part of them getting through their workday. Rather than I was the patient who was going to be in the center of this medical care. And again, it was that it lit the fire for me. And that is then what kicked the ball rolling um, and led us to where we are now. Yeah. Well, I guess I, my first question is, first of all, how are you now? Oh, thank you. I'm doing very well. Um, I, I guess I am cancer free, although I hesitate to use that term because I, I don't think that you're ever completely rid of, yeah. you know, the experience of cancer. Um, but yes, I'm doing, I'm doing very well. Thank you. I do have this very aggressive and persistent reminder every day um, that tomorrow truly is never promised. And... So if that's the case, and that's why I say I hesitate to even use the term cancer-free because I, yeah. I don't feel like it will ever go away. I don't feel like it will ever leave me entirely. And I don't mean that in the medical sense, but um, the experience will never leave me. But, you know, to have this aggressive and persistent reminder every day, um, I also want to use that and say, okay, so it may come back at some point. Um, it's very realistic possibility um it, your number your days may be numbered so so then now what yeah now what do you think one of the questions i was gonna ask in the in this 
personal stage of the interview was just how whether you have a practice that keeps you grounded do you feel like that is that reflection is a practice or do you have something more in the self-care line that keeps you grounded because you have I mean the the amount you've had to deal with in the past year is is um definitely more than the average entrepreneur has had to deal (laughs) with in their first year so what has kept you going through that I think a big part of it was giving space for all of it, um, giving space for feeling really, really crappy and really pessimistic. And this just sucks. And there's nothing good about this. And I hate this. Um, even for self pity sometimes, although thankfully that didn't, didn't visit too often. Um, but also, you know, to feel joy and to be able to make fun of it at times, too. I mean, there are just some wholly absurd parts of treatment for cancer. And so without being able to laugh at some of those, too, I mean, it, I, I really think it's just making space for all of it. And I have learned through a therapist um, who's amazing and also a coach um, who I've worked with for a few years now. Um, The combination of the two of them really honestly teaching me and helping to guide me to, I think is even better way to put it, helping to guide me to radical self-acceptance. That more than anything um, is is what is my practice now. Be able to um, look at what has been just an absolutely brutal year, to look at my, even my body, um, which historically I've had a very, very complicated relationship with, as most women I know have, right? (laughs) Most women I know have. Um, But to be able to look at my body and go, holy, you know what? look at what we're able to do. Like, look at what I have been able to do. Look at what my body has carried me through. Um, And to, at the very least, have a deep, deep appreciation for that. And when I center myself there, there is not nearly enough room for being too (laughs) self-critical, for, you know, caring about things that used to just really deeply upset me, so. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, there. I mean, first of all, that's like a beautiful summation of and thread back to the value of your work. And I mean, isn't that what we hope for every person and every employee and every team and company? Um, But I also think it is um, beautiful advice on thinking about what it even means to be an entrepreneur. I think I have emerged from this whole experience with a much greater trust in myself as well. And that then, as an entrepreneur, that manifests itself in so many ways. Um, again, I'm able to sit in the place where I say to my, and I do still have to have this conscious conversation with myself occasionally, but where I would say, okay, am I more afraid of doing this and failing, or am I more afraid of not doing this? Because that's essentially inaction is leading us down the latter path. So it's that deep self-trust that's really critical for me as an entrepreneur. 